Hey guys, this is Jessica Hines, and I'm here with the creators of Ain't No Such Thing, a brand new podcast series that goes over scary Southern stories and illustrated art, narrated and illustrated by Amanda Rachels and stories written by Kevin Laporte. Now, this app was just approved for iTunes on Monday, but you can also access it through Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. I will say that this is our first roundtable episode to discuss the first story in Ain't No Such Thing, so we're pretty excited. These things will be released weekly on Wednesdays after the stories that are released on Mondays. In these episodes, we plan to dive into the episode to ask questions, review history, and even admit to a few WTFs. We also plan on discussing your commentary and questions, so please reach out on Facebook and make any comments, suggestions, questions, so that way we can go over them. So without further ado, let me introduce our creators. I have Amanda Rachers here who narrates and illustrates these wonderful podcasts, as well as the writer, Kevin Laporte. Hey guys. Hey y'all. Hello. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Well... Kevin and I have been making comics for about a decade now. Lots of scary stuff, mostly. Uh, lots of clowns, which mm, uh, Jessica loves. Oh, I love she, them. She, she loves clowns. Love. Send yeah. all your clown pictures to Jess. Beep, beep, Jesse. Y'all. But that's what we've been doing since uh, 2009. We've been creating comics. Um, got some other partners along the way that help us make other horror comics. So. You can check out our comics at inversepress.com. Uh, our most um, frequently purchased title is one called Vicious Circus that features the clowns. Amanda also illustrated one written by Erica Heflin called Flesh of White. And we have a whole line, but check them out there. That's what we've been doing before we transitioned into uh, podcasting horror stories. And I like, I like this medium, too, because we're able to tell a short, short story... And I don't have to sit down and draw it for a hundred years at a time. So it doesn't take two years to put out a book. <laughs> we can churn out stories about once a week this way. It's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, we've got three in the bag. Uh, so we're ahead of the game. It's going to be fun. Cool. Great. So I'm sure a lot of us are kind of wondering, where did this idea originate? Well, I love horror stories, particularly short stories. And um, ever since I was a kid... I liked to read them. I like to, to get scared, scare the people around me with Scary them. stories in the dark. Oh, yeah. Those uh, tales from the midnight hour. You know, reading those sort of things. I remember as a little kid, and I'm going to date myself, um, recording cassettes. And we would listen to them over and over again, make our own little audio books. So this just seems like an ideal transition. Also, because, as we said, Kevin and I make comics. And that's a very, very involved process for all the artwork involved um, and the production. And this is just a different kind of way to get stories out there and and get some characters that we like, um, get their stories out there without necessarily having to do a whole book about them. You know, they deserve to see the light of day. It satisfies our need to create on a faster pace, uh, at a higher level. And in a totally different way than what we've done before. So uh, it was when Amanda suggested doing this, I kind of jumped at the opportunity. It's motivated me to do more writing and not just marketing and business planning is what I normally do these days in terms of writing. So I've been actually churning out creative writing, actual stories for about a month now, getting ready for this podcast to launch. 
so it's really an effort to produce more material um, that'll feed into other projects down the road. But these stories are first going up uh, through podcasts, and Amanda will be telling them in her voice based on the words and the concepts that we come up with together. Okay, so let's literally dive into this next episode, The Baptist. And, and guys, major spoiler alerts. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, please go back and listen to it. Don't want to ruin your day. Um, so, But I think one of the big questions first that comes to my mind when I read the podcast was, you know, where did these drowned towns come from? And, and well, from your brain, where, where did they come from? Partly from my brain, um, the the original idea for the podcast, for this particular story, was Amanda. She wanted to do a story about baptism, horror. Uh, I'm not sure. Where, where did that concept come from, baptism horror? I'm scared of church. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting in church. Uh, I'm sorry, Mom. Um, as a kid and seeing in particular the the statues and just sitting there watching them and knowing that they were going to blink their eyes and look at me and oh it everything about it is creepy crawly to me mm-hmm. um it just always has been oh, right. and then when you think about baptism you go back to even the scene from a brother where art thou um <laughs> which is some a, a type of scene that i literally witnessed growing up mm-hmm. the the church that i grew up in would sometimes take people down to a creek under a bridge on Highway 45 in 8 Mile, Alabama and baptize people next to the road. And so it's, uh, you know, it conjures up those images as well. And when she gave me that idea, uh, of course, I'd take it to the nth degree. And what if the baptism occurs already underwater? Is that more horrific? Uh, Yes. And and, and (laughs) yes, the the answer was definitely yes. Mm -hmm. And I had recently... Uh, seen one of these articles on Facebook, of course, that's where all ideas come from these days, right? Uh, about lost places, about abandoned places. And I, I love looking at those pictures from those articles. It'll be the weird Wizard of Oz uh, theme park in North Carolina that was abandoned. I think they've recently reopened in the past couple of years. They open it once a year. Or it'll be the theme park, the old Six Flags New Orleans, where they abandoned it and there's clown heads laying everywhere on the ground mm-hmm. after Hurricane Katrina, things like that. Sure. And one of those was the, the towns that were sunk in the interest of hydroelectric power all over the country, mm-hmm. but particularly there the Tennessee Valley Authority in North Alabama that provides electricity and nuclear plants and everything else up there had created several artificial lakes by just flooding towns. And to bob everybody's property. Mm-hmm. And I saw a story where one of those towns came up and reemerged during a drought. And so then there's suddenly buildings in the middle of the lake. Oh, hey there. Yeah. Such a crazy concept. And uh, so my thought was one of those buildings had to be a church because it's Alabama and there's five churches on every corner <laughs> uh, and only four corners. So naturally, our story should take place our story about baptizing somebody in water should take place underwater at a church that's been underwater for 50 or 60 years. So that's the long answer, but that's the answer. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you bring that up because when I, again, listened, read to the story, there was a place, I mean, all you people from Indiana, there was a place 
just an hour away from where I grew up, a literal place that actually was submerged underwater for this. It was uh, Brookville Lake was created back in the 1970s. It was a town called Fairfield. They actually moved the Fairfield to New Fairfield. So it just blew my mind that yes, these really occur, and there's several, um, not just in you know the United States. The interesting thing about that, um, I saw another story about these um, sunken towns recently where mass extinctions occurred as a result of them. The Alabama gar is a fish that was native only within the, the borders of the state of Alabama, and when they dammed these rivers, they got trapped, lost their natural habitat, and most of them died off. They recently found one. They're what? still out there. They found some DNA evidence that at least one still exists in the water. But when you change the environments that radically, you know, the horror story for people that we make up is one thing, but the horror story for the, you know, the creatures mm -hmm. in our environment that were created by these con constructions that were made in the interest of electricity, which, you know, is a nice convenience, mm -hmm. um, but really resulted in some crazy outcomes for nature. I don't know about you, but I want a story about that one gar because he has to be big, fat, and mean and just rule the lake. Uh, either that or, you know, <laughs> the next great Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I figured... Finding uh, gar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. I, I figured the whole inspiration for this might have been a brother where art thou since they flood the valley at the end of it. Ooh, well, there's, think of that. You know, I, I've... I've said it for years that that's the greatest movie ever made it's not necessarily my favorite movie but that's almost a perfect film so i mean i'm not going to deny that it informs some of the things that come out of my brain i don't disagree where's the horny toad <laughs> that's uh, episode four <laughs> <laughs> episode 69 is the horny toad story the <laughs> there will be a disclaimer before that one so. good lord <laughs> So next, you know, we're kind of following along Floyd and Mark and how they're kind of doing their jobs. And so what is night searching, y'all? Well, these guys are uh, members of the sheriff's flotilla. So they're sheriff's deputies that are trained search and rescue. And to me, uh, nothing sounds more claustrophobic, more anxiety riddled than being underwater relying on unlimited supply of oxygen, completely in the dark, no matter what lights you have. And those freshwater lakes full of sediment at night, uh, those guys can't see anything. So they have certain techniques that they have to use to not only know where they are in, re in relation to the surface and the boat, but in relation to each other and in relation to what they're looking for. So I did a little research um, into how they do this and how they keep up. And you'll notice in the story that there's certain sequences of bumps and pulls on the rope that they can do to let each other know where they're at and what they're doing, if they need to stop, if they need to go, which direction they should go and so forth. Uh, I thought it led to a really taut, anxiety-filled situation, which is what you want in a horror story. You have all that anxiety building to finding a drowned person. More anxiety. <laughs> All right, what happened to the kid? Are the divers okay? Are they going to make it out of there? And as a layperson, which I assume 99% of our listeners slash readers are, we don't know what divers do in the middle of the night in these lakes when they're searching for bodies if somebody ran their car into a flooded 
ditch or somebody's going missing in a lake, uh, even if it's somebody that was lost to rip current at, at, the, at the Gulf of Mexico. We don't know what these divers do. So I thought it was a real chance to get into the mystery of what they're up against and what happens when something unusual, unexpected that they don't even encounter happens. Uh, I felt like it built the, built the suspense really well and uh, gave you a chance to get to know the main character, Floyd in particular, as he navigated not only the water, but a really unusual situation for him. And, and as his confidence in his peers was shown to start off high and then to slowly erode as the situation deteriorated. Sure. So Floyd's like, wait, what's going on? He's gone, trying to find his friend. And then all of a sudden he starts seeing this will-o'-wisp. Right. Yeah, some light that he sees far below that he shouldn't be able to see, which is as disturbing to him as anything, that there should not be a light. He can't see his own light on his hand in front of his face. But for some reason, there's a light that penetrates that dark water from further below, which would make it less likely he should see a light, which, you know, adds to the horror atmosphere. Don't go into the light. I mean, Carol Ann really taught us this. Carol Ann did go into the light there. <laughs> Carol Ann went the wrong way. And uh, she ended up getting puked out by a poultry guy. So. <laughs> That's more anxiety for you, actually. Yeah. So, and, and that is a classic horror trope. I mean, sure. it's, it's something to play off of. And I, I thought it made it more interesting. Definitely. So he's going through these towns. And I'm kind of curious as to, you know, what inspired you to these towns? That little town called Falls City. Falls, plural city, uh, is a real place in North Alabama, uh, Winston County, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, that was really flooded when they made Smith Lake. All, most of the facts in the story, the con contextual facts are real. Those are true facts. The time frames, everything. Uh, but the, the town of Falls City, I'm sure it looked exactly like every little town in Alabama that you drive through. The Greensboro's, the Jackson's, the Grove Hills, um, you know, all these little places, including the place I grew up in, the way it looked in the 1970s called Eight Mile, where you've got rows of stores, old timey stores connected to each other, grocery stores and pawn shops and post offices. Next to bars that are next to churches and uh, usually a feed store uh, there's still where we live in Baldwin County Alabama there's still towns like that a whole string of them in fact that lead down to the town of Gulf Shores I totally know what those towns look like but it's funny reading it the first thing that really came to mind to mind to me uh, picturing this town was Gatlin Missouri for the children of the corn <laughs> <laughs> it had that feel uh, the empty haunted place without the ginger kid screaming outlander down the street for, <laughs> you just have to blubber it in the bubbles all right it's definitely time to talk about this guy the baptist you know kevin how did you even come up with this idea was it a dream um, videos movies that you kind of picked up on and you just kind of put it into your mind and amanda how did you create it how did it come into fruition once you actually read it well, I didn't want it to be derivative of other horror characters, I and mean, certainly none of the classics like Freddy or Jason. I, 
I wanted it to have its own presence and its own aesthetic. My approach to these things is to let the story drive how it looks in my mind. I certainly haven't had a, a dream about this particular character. Because he's a murdering baptizer of people and he exists in this lake under the water, I wanted him to be made of water. Mm -hmm. So the baptism from this creature, from this monster, comes from his own form. So his arms, his claws, his body that you really can't see under his robes is made of water. It's just a cursed, congealed form <laughs> of the water around him. And in the story, he pours that into all the orifices of the head. So eyes, nose, mouth, ears, all baptized at once. I had to read that several times just to kind of get it. Um, because all I was saying, I was like, what is that? You know? <laughs> Think of it as hard water or even as maybe um, water that's spinning around uh, almost like a vortex, mini vortexes, but in the form of arms and fingers, just extended very long. Amanda has illustrated this character so you can kind of see that and we'll post that picture. And guys, this, this illustration is creepy. So uh, Amanda, how did you come up with this? I saw him more as kind of a floating black raggedy claw. Uh, it was, I had a, a ghost kind of image in my head, and that was before Kevin really put everything underwater. Um, I wanted some kind of flowing, ragged creature. And of course, Kevin gives me a description before I start doing the illustration, but uh, it was sort of reminiscent of a character that I had drawn in one of our stories, a character in the book The Blind Eye called Hindsight. And uh, you couldn't see his eyes, you couldn't see his nose. All you saw, <laughs> he, he had a, a, a scarf wrapped around the top of his head and all you saw was this big jutting lower mandible full of teeth. And I love that. That's the sort of thing that I big love drawing. Because he just looks awful and kind of <laughs> sad with his big sad toothy underbite. And so that's sort of what I saw in this, but I wanted him to be really raggedy and flowing. Um, and then the, the hands were just kind of an interesting touch that Kevin indicated. So tried to make them look as much like the spinning vortexes as I could. I, I saw it very clearly for being such an odd concept, but I, did, I do love my monster. All right, so we see this illustration, and uh, you know, then we see Mark, and, uh, and uh, fortunately we really see Mark. So I guess one of my big questions, just to kind of end it up, is that, you know, do you think that it was Floyd's own guilt that really killed him? Or was it like this supernatural drive to kind of let this murderous Baptist guy with the vortex spinny hands um, to kill him? To me, and I'm the one that came up with this concept, but I, I really want the reader, the listener, to interpret it on their own. <laughs> to me, he was corrupted and surrendered and was victimized at the last minute. And what happens to him after that? Does he drown? Is he saved? Is he is his soul spared? Does he become the Baptist? Does he become another one? I think he's saved in that he spends an eternity under the lake with this elder god creature, you know. It's sort of a Lovecraftian saving. I don't disagree that he spends an eternity under the lake with this thing. However, I think it's an eternity of loss and torment. He now joins the congregation. Correct. 
He does absolutely join the congregation, but not because he wanted to, not because he chose to, but because, in a sense, the presence of this creature, the corruption of the waters around this creature got into him and drove him mad at the last moment. The madness of uh, delusion. But poor Floyd. I'm, I'm all into isolation horror, and it doesn't get more isolated in a sunken church just full of the ghosts of the other. Well, trying to save your buddy well, and ended up totally by yourself and then victimized as bad as your buddy and the child you were trying to rescue as well. You There's know, a hopelessness to it, but and maybe that fed into why he was susceptible to the advance of the Baptist. So I'm just curious. Because he failed. I'm, I'm curious. You both have mentioned um, fears, you know, uh, that isolation or claustrophobia. Is this what these stories are about? Some of your fears? Uh, that's what horror is. Mm-hmm. You have to play on base fears. And to me, uh, that comes from inside. I think you can manufacture some of that, but some of it has to come from a real place that you're familiar with, or else you can't make it as genuine. So, so no lakes for you? Uh, I would never scuba dive, scuba <laughs> dive in my entire life. Nope. Not one time. It's just, uh, my brother was an underwater welder and told me about it. I have no interest. Amanda's cousins are seasoned divers of decades mm-hmm. uh, it's just not me all the themes in this are things that that freak me out well thanks guys so much for sticking around and taking the time to listen please join our facebook group at ain't no such thing podcast and follow us on twitter at amanda rachels and at kevin laporte also we would absolutely love it if you would go to the itunes podcast and subscribe drop a good review just to kind of help our podcast grow Obviously, it is available on iTunes, boop, boop, and as well as Stitcher and Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. And don't forget to follow on YouTube as well. And we would also love your comments on Facebook, so please drop some comments and and questions and things like that. So, for those who have stuck around, we want to give you a brief preview. And it kind of goes into the same thing with the Baptists, of course. Um, So, kind of take a listen. The Flood Moving was just the worst, and moving twice in six months? That was plain torture. Melody Landover squatted in her newest room amongst cardboard skyscrapers not open since she, her parents, and her big brother Mike forfeited their country home outside Falls City, Alabama that summer of 1961. The power company planned to flood half the county, and all the people there had to go. So for more of that episode, The Flood, you can check it out early this Thursday, the 14th. See you guys later. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.